Hallelujah. Truer words have never been spoken. The power that is in the name of Jesus. And you know, I shared with the worship team, I have been meditating, studying, fasting some this week on a single subject all week long. And at 1.30 this morning, I was trying to put it all together, and I finally just slid it to the side. I said, Lord, that's just not the word for today. And God said, no, Bernie, that's the word for you. I'm like, well, okay. So now what am I going to do? <laughs> and I'm standing over there, and the, and the Lord says, it's not about what you're prepared to do, Bernie. It's about what I'm prepared to do. Amen. It's what Jesus, and it should be that way every time we come into the house of God. And it's about what God is prepared to do in your life. And all he's looking for is somebody that says, I will. You know, and if you just put yourself out there. We give opportunity for people to serve God. Jeannie and I, are we over there and fighting back the tears of joy when we see God move in people's life. Well, little, he's not little Micah anymore. He's like seven feet tall. I don't know. He's <laughs> but seeing Micah up there, he's learning to, to worship God on a set of drums, you know. And he, didn't he do an awesome job, you know? Amen. And I know people don't like me calling them out, but Julie, you blessed my heart this morning. Because I stayed after, I said, Honey, you don't hide a gift under a bushel. God's given you a gift. Let's use it. And she's so bashful and shy, I know I'm embarrassing the daylights out of her right now. But God will do it if you just give him a chance. Amen. Now, we've got some people this morning says, I want to give God that chance, and, and I want to become a part of the fellowship here. Mark, won't you and Francis, your family, come on up. Chris, Meredith, come on up. What a beautiful family, huh? Amen. Well on their way, got three children. Mark, Francis, so good to have you guys come into our fellowship. They're coming before this church this morning as members of a church. They wanted to join. They said, I want to be. Listen, everybody that attends regularly, in my mind, you're a member of our church, okay? But when they sign on, they say, I want to, I want to, I want to lock in, be a voting member. I want to be a part of the leadership and what's going on and, and help you go to the next level in God. And we're so happy that you guys decided to come and join us and, and your kids. Let me see if I can just write Mallory. Right? Tanner and Shelby. Amen. Three wonderful, blessed children. Already very active. Mallory, I'm hearing such great reports about you, honey, and youth and what you're doing. Such a sweet spirit. Tanner, getting involved in, in the media and stuff and already helping out. So we're so glad. Shelby, she's just a sweetheart, huh? Shelby's just a sweetheart. Amen. And then we got Chris. And his lovely wife, Meredith. They, Meredith, is, she, she was in our youth. She grew up right here in the church. And she's one of these that I speak over every Sunday 
that they find that special person just for them. And God brought their paths together. Chris King, he grew up in the Assemblies of God down in, in uh, Chesterfield. He's a school teacher down there. And uh, they're getting ready to build and, and move to our area. And they said, we want to be a part of the fellowship here. So, guys, we just welcome you this morning. God bless you, each and every one. Amen. The church is with you. We're going to be praying for you. Amen. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Let's just pray for them right now. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we thank you that you've brought them into our fellowship, Lord, that they're signing on to be, be members on our role, God. And we just pray, Father, that you will just show them exactly what you've called. God, they didn't just wander in the door. Father, we believe that the steps of the righteous are ordered by you, God, and they were brought here for a purpose. So, Lord, help them to find that purpose, Lord, to get in the game, God, and just go. So, Father, we just pray that you just give them that opportunity, Lord, and we know that you will be there for them no matter what you ask them to do. God, you're going to be there, and you're going to help them through it now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you. God bless you guys. Well, praise the Lord. Yes. Yes, Mother. This is why God gives you wives. And why God gives you a wife, she said. If, if, um, why don't you guys greet one another before you're seated, if you would, please. Uh, if it were up to me, I'll tell you when you get through greeting. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements before we get into the Word. We want to remind you that uh, two weeks from today, it'll be the last Sunday, the 26th, we're going to be having our annual business meeting immediately after the service. Um, everyone is invited to stay because we're also going to have our Acts 2 dinner. Uh, if you're not familiar with what that is, we started it years, years ago. <coughs> it was, <coughs> excuse me, and actually a couple in the church had a, had a vision for how we could connect outside of the church because you, you only see each other for a short time on Sunday morning and then you may not see anybody in the church until a week from now and then you got another 30 minutes or so together. So it's a way to connect outside of the church and get to know each other better. So this couple had a vision for how to do that and, and they were reading in Acts chapter 2, it says they went from house to house breaking bread and fellowshipping one with each other. So we started what we called an Acts 2, and they did it in small groups outside the church, and then we decided that we would just do it right here at the church. So 
um, before the COVID whole, whole thing uh, happened, we used to every uh, third Sunday, we would have an Acts 2 dinner, you know. And uh, we're starting to re, uh, reintroduce that, not quite that frequently, but uh, we're going to be doing that so you'll have a time to, to sit down and break bread together and fellowship. But also, our business meeting will be held immediately after that. And that same Sunday, we're going to have a baptismal service. So we have some candidates for baptism. We're going to be doing that. Also want to uh, let you know that we need to be praying for Mark. He and Charity are not here this morning. Mark, if you don't know who he is, he, is, he and uh, Charity, they take care of our youth and children's department. Uh, but he, his father, unex well, kind of unexpectedly, his dad had had a stroke uh, in uh, North Carolina, and he passed away this week. And so there in North Carolina there, his dad was an Assembly of God pastor, second generation. His grandfather, both of his grandfathers were pastor, and Mark's dad was a pastor. And so um, they're going to be doing that funeral. Tuesday, we want to be remembering the Byerly family as they're grieving the loss of, of Alan, Alan Byerly, my daughter's father-in-law. So, amen. <clears throat> uh, I also, I need to correct a couple of things. I, I brought Brittany... I mean, um, I'm having a senior moment here. Who did I bring up here? Was pray? Oh, uh, Emily. Emily last week was pregnant. Okay, and we come and prayed. I understand there was there was another lady in the church that was pregnant. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, Anastasia is pregnant. Yeah, and actually, I was going to pray for them this morning. I contacted her. I said, Anastasia, I'm sorry. I I didn't know, you know, and, and so. Um, we were going we're gonna to pray for them. There, she texts me and says, we're not going to be able to make it this morning. Something has come up. So we, we just rejoice in that. Amen. God is about life. Amen. He came to give us life. And, um, wow. So anyway, today Saint, we're, we're going to have St. Patrick's this week. I didn't wear anything green, but I, Jeannie had this big bow tie I was going to put on, but I decided maybe not, you know. But St. Patrick, it is something that we should take note of, especially if you come from Irish background. How many Irish folks do we have in here are from an Irish generation? I, I am too. I didn't even know. I thought I was English, but found out I'm Scots-Irish. Who knew? You know, and if it wasn't for St. Patrick, we might not be here. We might still be eating our enemies. <laughs> yeah. The Celtic people were like, not good, you know. But St. Patrick brought the Word of God to the, to the island of Ireland. And I don't know if you know the story, and I'm not going to get into detail about it, but he was actually taken captive there as a slave. And he, he uh, had a vision from an angel that, that there was a ship. And he traveled a long ways. He found this ship. He made it back home. And uh, he was doing well at home. And then... He had another visitation in a dream, and he saw the people of Ireland saying, Holy boy, come back. Holy boy, come back. And so he went back to Ireland and took the Word of God to Ireland. And uh, because of that, they, they turned from their Celtic religion, Celtic beliefs, the Druids and all that, some really dark, demonic stuff, and came to Christ, you know. So... We, we, they celebrate St. Patrick's Day this week, and that's a good thing, you know, because God is looking for people that will serve him. Amen? He's looking for people that will serve him. And he wants people that's going to serve him in spirit and in truth. 
And all he's looking for is somebody that's willing to say, I will, you know. But what we too often do, we want somebody else to do it, right? It's like the man and woman, they're in the bed early in the morning, they're arguing about who's going to get up and fix the coffee. And she says, you're supposed to get up and fix it. He said, I'm not. You get up and fix it. She said, no, the Bible says so. He says, where does the Bible say I got to get up and fix the coffee? She opens it says, it says right there, Hebrews. <laughs> so get up and brew the coffee. <laughs> but it's human nature. We typically, especially if it's something that's not pleasant or fun or enjoyable, we wait for somebody else to do it. I wait for my, my wife. We, we kind of like race to see who gets up out of the bed in the morning because the last one up makes the bed. And she always beats me up I, how she does that. And I, I wait around, and sometimes I'll take my time, get, hoping maybe she'll wander back in there and make up the bed, you know, but she don't. So I make up the bed, you know. Because we want somebody else to carry out the trash or do the dishes or do the laundry or mow the grass or whatever. We wait for someone else to do it. Well, I got sad news for you this morning. Someone else has retired. It's true. For many years, one of his friends at his retirement party said, for many years as a part of, uh, of his life, someone else did far more than a normal person should do. He's looking for somebody to share the work. Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, a meeting to attend, a volunteer needed to help out in an unpleasant task. Everybody said, let someone else do it. Whenever leadership was needed, this wonderful person was looked to for inspiration as well as results. All of his friends would say, someone else can work with that group. It was common knowledge that someone else was among the most generous givers. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone assumed that someone else would make up the difference. But now someone else is retired. We wonder what we're going to do. Someone has left a wonderful example to follow, but who is going to follow it? Who is going to do the things that someone else always did? And most importantly, <laughs> do it right. Because we can do something, but can we do it right? We don't want to be like the man and his wife that's riding a two-seat bicycle up the hill, and the man is up front, and he's pedaling, and he's grunting, and he's sweating, and he finally gets to the top of the hill, and he's like, man, that was hard. And his wife says, yeah, and just think, if I hadn't been holding the brakes, we might have rolled down that hill backwards. Now, the Bible teaches that we all have a job to do, and if you're like most people, you're waiting for someone else to do it. Someone else do the dishes or carry out the trash or make the bed or all those things that are not easy. <clears throat> and I just want to announce today that in the, the biblical classified says that there is a position open for a new someone else. Look at yourself and say, I am a someone else. Come on. Now, let me say before I get into the Word this morning, there are times that God tells us to come apart. 
You know, because we are, some of you are the someone else's that I'm talking about. You know, you can always look to somebody. How many of you know that there's always somebody you can count on? They're always there, and when everything else fails, they're going to the children's department to serve because Market Charity's not here this morning. My wife is a someone else, okay? She can plug in and fill in in places where nobody else can do it. Gigi comes to the rescue. She is a someone else, and many of you are like that. And sometimes there's a time to come apart and rest because you can, let me tell you something. If you go to the barn and get your best horse every time, you'll work a good horse to death. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So we need to find some other horses to drain to do what the good horse does. And you want to make sure that horse is broke because if you hook an unbroke horse to a plow, it'll tear up everything. And so that's part of what we do. We want to help you and find the gift that God's called you to and train you, you know, and that's what we do. And so I was talking about with Micah this morning. We want to open opportunities and give opportunities to the, to the someone else's to serve in the capacity that God has called them to. And if you look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus in verse 1, and he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, all right, the someone else's, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How many of you know that every single person under the sound of my voice that has said, Jesus, I give my life to you, I will serve you, that you have a call on your life? God has a specific call for you. So he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you were called. I have a calling. You have a calling. And Paul says, I beseech you. That word beseech means I am pleading earnestly with you to walk worthy of the calling, which you were called. And he says to do it with all lowliness. In other words, the things that God's called us to do, we don't need to be prideful about that because it may be something that's up front, something that people see and something that people want to they, they elevate you. And he says, don't be haughty about this. Don't be arrogant. Don't say, look at me. I'm putting on my, my cloak of righteousness. I'm out here serving God again. But you do it with lowliness and with humility. Because we realize, and I said it this morning, it's not about what I'm prepared to do. It's not about what you're prepared to do. It's about what God is prepared to do. And I'm telling you something, church, God will do some miraculous, powerful things in you that will surprise you what God can do through you. I, I, maybe I will touch on some of the stuff I've been studying. I have been seeing a move of God that is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's happened before. It's coming back around again. And I'm, a, I'm doing a lot of research and evaluation to see, is this biblical? Is it lining up with the Word of God? But one thing that it is doing is it's stirring up something in me and reminding me that God wants to do some amazing things if you will just step out in faith and allow him to do it. He's looking for the opportunity to show himself mighty, but he needs a vessel through which to do it. And if we will just step out and give God the opportunity, he will do mighty things through you. You know, but we sometimes stand back and say, I know God will do mighty things, but do it through him. 
and you're waiting for somebody else to do it. And God says, no, I'm going to take you and maybe some of the lowest and most lowly and, and humble and the people that you never would dream of, God can do some amazing mighty things if we will just allow him to work through us. Each one of you is a vessel through which God can use. You know, I think, I think about the revival, the French, if you ever want to do an interesting study, do a study on the French revival where God was using children, children, to do mighty things. I, I, I'm trying to go from my memory because it just popped into my head. I, don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in one of those revival, a child that was like six years old or seven years old that could barely speak his own language and dialect, got up and prophesied in another language with perfect diction and everything. I mean, I think he, was, he, he got up and spoke a, a word of prophecy in French or something. To a child, God can do amazing things if we would just give him an opportunity. All right, so he says we are to do it with lowliness. And he says, and to do it with gentleness. In other words, we don't want to be pushy. We don't want to be bossy. We want to be gentle because other people, you know, they, they may not do it the way that you do it. And so we want to understand God uses different personalities, different ways. And uh, we need to understand that God, may, they may not be doing it the way that you do, but we want to be gentle with people and how they serve the Lord. He said also do it with long suffering. In other words, we've got to be patient with people. Not everybody, and I had to learn this, not everybody works at your pace. I work at a fast pace. When I'm doing something, I, I'm getting it done and, and I, I can get a lot done in a short period of time. You know, but when other, when other people work, they may work more detailed and more meticulous. People that are strategizers, are there any strategizers in here? I mean, you plan every detail of what you're going to do before you ever take the first step and do it. By the time you've got it planned, I'm three-fourths of the way done with the thing. You drive me crazy. I love you, but God help you. <laughs> it's like we're going to do this, and you got all everything. I'm halfway through the job. Now, it may not be done as well, and I will probably do something wrong and have to go back and redo it, but get her done. Amen? How many get her done folks is in here? Well, if you're a get her done folk and, and, and you are a working with somebody that is a strategizer and very meticulous, they will drive you crazy because, but you have to be patient with them. They don't work like you work. And so in the body of Christ, we can get on each other's nerves because not everybody does it the way you do it. But we need to understand that sometimes God calls them. And, and, and two, let me just say this. There are, there are things that people in the body of Christ would love to be a part of, but they would step in and do it if you just let them. Sometimes they're wanting to work, but we, we can kind of set up our camp. And this is my territory. Everybody stay away. And, what, and I don't know, it may be too, I'm just shooting in the dark here, okay? It may be that we're afraid they're going to do it better than I do. They won't need me and want me anymore. Boo-hoo. <laughs> Amen. Come on. Oh, am I being too real? So sometimes we just need to let go and let somebody else do it, you know? And then if they, we see that they're really making a mess out of it, then come on inside of them and mentor them and help them and let's work together and be patient. Everybody say patient. Be patient. Be long-suffering. He tells us to bear with one another in love. 
That's accepting the difference in each other's work. And it would be nice if folks in the church would love each other. Amen. <laughs> and you do. All right, you do. I'm not rebuking anybody this morning. I'm here to encourage you and to, and to challenge you to step up and let God do some amazing things in your life. <clears throat> but when we do it, we, we, if any, any group of people, any community of people in the world should have love among their members, it should be the church. And so I, I love the fact that the world can look at CVAG and they can see genuine love. You guys love each other. I've been in church for many, many years. You know, I'm 69 years old, been in church my whole life. I've seen a whole lot of stuff in the church that didn't look like the love of Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But I, I rejoice at CVAG, and we've had some haters in the church, you know, and I don't think about, well, who's he talking about? It doesn't matter. All right? But for the most part, you guys, are, you're a loving group, and, and I applaud you for that, and I encourage you to continue to do that. <clears throat> so he said, do it in love. Then verse 3, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So above all else, we want to be unified, to be working together. How I many of you know when, when something works together, it works better? <clears throat> it's like a, 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 another example just popped into my head. A, a guy on a football field picked up the football and ran 65 yards in the wrong direction and made a touchdown for the other team. How many of you know it works better when we all go in the right direction, <laughs> amen, and we work together to achieve the goal? We don't want to run 65 yards for the devil and make a touchdown for the powers of darkness. We want to be as a team going in the same direction, working in unity with one another. Now, as an example of that, think about a machine. The machine, it has many, many working parts. You know, when we first planted the church here, I had some people that's like, well, we need to do this and this and this and this, and they were comparing us to a church that had been established for many years and had all the bells and whistles working. And I'm like, we, we don't even have the building done yet. You know, you're describing a machine that is well-oiled and it's operating. We don't even have the machine built yet. We're just trying to get the pieces and parts put together. So I appreciate what you're saying, but we are not even there yet. But when you do get the machine put together, it functions and operates right as long as everything in it works according to its design. Take a four-stroke combustible engine, for example. How many mechanics are in the house? Knows what I'm talking about. A four-stroke combustible engine. All right, it has a piston that runs up and down, and there's four strokes in, the, in one cycle of that engine. It has the intake stroke, and it, it opens a valve, and that valve has to open at the very perfect timing to pull gas into that cylinder. All right, and when it gets to the bottom of that stroke, that valve has to shut, and, another, and the other valve, the exhaust valve, has to be shut too. If either one of them is leaking, this machine won't work. Then it comes up on the second stroke, which is the compression stroke. When it gets to the top dead center, that spark plug fires. It, it creates a combustion in there. It blasts that piston back down on what is the third stroke, the power stroke, which drives the machine. And then it comes back up on the fourth stroke, the exhaust valve opens and it blows the exhaust out. And then it goes through that cycle over and over and over again. 
right? If anything on that fails, let's say you've ever heard of a machine throwing a rod. It's the rod. That's the rod that pushes the piston. If that rod breaks that one part, that, that machine is useless. It won't work because one part is broken on it. Uh, the cars today, I don't really understand them. They got coil packs on them. I was going to fix Jeannie's car, and I opened the hood to, to put spark plugs and wires on it, and I, I couldn't even see where the spark plug, there, there was no coil. I couldn't even see the thing, and I found out it had coil packs. I, I, don't, I said, I don't even know what a coil pack is. I mean, it's, I mean, get me a 1969 Chevy 2. You open the hood, there's nothing in there but a motor. Did you take a screwdriver and listen to it and you can fix the thing? You know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Right now, you got to have a stinking doctor's degree in mechanics to work on a car. But anyway, you, you used to be, you could go open the hood and take one little wire, the coil wire off, and that whole car was useless. I mean, you could push it down the road, but it's not going anywhere on its own because one part was missing. Are you hearing me, church? Come on, sometimes you need oil in your engine. I had a lawnmower, a snapper. How many of you know what a snapper is? Got the motor on the back? And, and I reworked the engine, and I got it working good, and, and uh, I, I got it all back together. I, I sanded the flywheel, and I drained all the oil out of it and everything, and I was out there mowing the grass. Man, that thing was running just sweet. All of a sudden, the thing started screeching and carrying on. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I forgot something. <laughs> oil. How I many of you know you need the Holy Spirit in your life, huh? Come on. We need some oil for the machine to work right. All of that is a part of how the body of Christ works. And each part is important. Each part is needed. And it all needs to work in unity. Now, <clears throat> same thing is true with your body, isn't it? Hit your finger with a hammer. Huh? That one little member, you hit that thing with a hammer, your whole body aches. Am I right? Sometimes you're laid up and like, you're useless for the rest of the day. That thing's throbbing, you know, and yeah. Anyway, verse 4. <laughs> okay, verse 4. It says, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, now I want you to get this because this is key right here. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now what's that talking about? God is giving you a calling not only is he giving you a calling, he's giving you a gift to do that calling. And to the measure of that gift that he's given you, he will give you the grace to do what he's called you to do. Now, we need to fully understand that. Because I've had people say to me, for example, I may be going through a day and suddenly I, one phone call, one phone call, it changes everything. I'm looking at Kathy there. I remember the, the day I got a phone call from the deputy sheriff's department. It says, we're at the house of one of your members. 
and, and he has passed away. And uh, his wife said to make sure to contact you. And Buddy, her husband, had passed away. And so all of a sudden, your day is, is changed. There, there is something that you're needed to do, and you, you go, and it's like, how do you do that? How do you do that? You can get some phone calls and some very hard and difficult things. That they're looking to you to help them, and you're like, what, what do I do? What do I say? And I had somebody say to me one time, says, Pastor, how, in the world, how do you do it? I said, I don't. God does it through me. Come on, God does it through you. He gives you the grace to do whatever he's called you to do. And if he didn't call you to do it, you don't need the grace to do that. He didn't call you to do that. But if he does, he will give you the grace to do whatever he's called you to do. He'll give you the grace to do whatever gift he's given you. His grace is sufficient. You don't think you can do it. Well, you can't. But with him, you can. Uh, at a glance, I'm looking at my children in here this morning. They, they told me one time, says, Dad, you turn into a different person when you step into that pulpit. I said, I know. I surprise myself sometimes because I am not this. It's the grace of God that comes upon you to help you do what he's called you to do. And every one of you have that calling. Every one of you have that gift. And every one of you has the grace of God to give you the power to do what he has called you to do. And all he's waiting for is you to say, here am I, Lord. Use me. But too often, we want someone else to do it. And God says, no, I didn't call someone else. I called you. You are the someone else. And we need to understand that this morning. Now, it says in verse 8, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Your gift and your calling is yours. Let me say that again. Your gift and your calling is yours. It's not somebody else's. In fact, you can't and should not try to walk in somebody else's calling. You're not, you're not graced to do that. And God doesn't expect you to do that. Too often we want to compare ourselves with other people and think I'm supposed to be doing that or acting like that. No, God didn't call you to do that. He's called you to do something else. And your gift and your calling is yours. And you can't walk in somebody else's calling and somebody else can't walk in your calling because it's not theirs, it's yours. And if you don't do it, a part of the machine is missing. And the machine is not going to work the way it's supposed to because the part that's going to make it work is sitting there waiting for someone else to do it. I'm not rebuking you, church. I'm encouraging. I'm, I'm trying to help you see God has something for you to do, and you can do it through the grace of God that he has given you to walk and do that thing. Powerful things. Church, I believe with all my being that we are on the threshold of seeing God do some miraculous, powerful things if we step out in faith to do it. Because if we can tap into what I believe the Lord is directing me and showing me, it's going to be the difference between seeing God do miraculous things or continuing in a form and in a practice while it's not non-effective, it's not as effective as it could be. See, a lot of the things and the things we do and the way we do them, they, they work because we, let me just kind of sidetrack here a minute. Sometimes we invoke the name of Jesus. How many of you said in the name of Jesus and you're believing God for something? 
But if we're not careful, what we will do is pull out the name of Jesus like it's some kind of a magic wand and it's just going to do anything. In the name of Jesus, we're expecting to, something to happen and, and it doesn't work and we wonder why and sometimes it's because there's some things in my life that I, I what I, I need to do instead of just using that as my go-to, my, my, my form, my pattern, what I really need is the leading of the Holy Spirit. I need the leading of the Holy Spirit in that moment. This person might need healing, and I just say in the name of Jesus, and I pull my wand out, whoop, and it's supposed to be done. And what they need is repentance because there's bitterness and, and anger and visceral and hate in their life, and they're carrying all this unforgiveness around, and I can invoke the name of Jesus all I want to, and nothing's going to happen because that's not what they need. What they need to do is get on their knees and repent and forgive and get things right, and then God can heal them. Well, I am preaching what the Lord has been showing me, but just let me go here, all right? Because I remember, I, I remember a time hearing about Dr. Rutland. He was, at a, he was at a service, and this man came up, and his hand was withered. And he came up for prayer, and Dr. Rutland, he, he flows so well in this. Instead of just pulling out his Jesus wand, he, he listens to the Holy Spirit. And his wife, he said his wife, and he said it wasn't so much the leading of the Holy Spirit as it was just reading the scene. His wife was standing there like with a smirk on her face. And he's like, is this your wife? And he said, yes. And he said, well, before I pray for you, he said, is there something that you guys need to work out? There's some unforgiveness or something? And she said, that happened 20 years ago. Well, he knew he was on to something. And so he dug a little deeper in what he found out is that this man had had a one-night stand with a prostitute 20 years ago, and his wife had never forgiven him. And so he starts, like, instead of do, doing his Jesus one thing, he said, ma'am, said, do you realize that the Word of God says that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, God won't forgive you? It says, if you have ought against any, forgive them so that your Father which is in heaven will forgive you of your sin. For if you do not forgive them, your, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you of your sin. Ma'am, you need to forgive him. And she was still just, she wouldn't know what he did is unforgivable. And he said, and so he just went with, he's like, well, just imagine for a minute now that your husband has repented of this. And according to the Word of God, it is put into the blood. It's never to be remembered against him again. It's buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. And just suppose at some point in time, maybe that prostitute, she found Jesus and she asked God to forgive her and to cleanse her, and she's forgiven. And they both die, and they're there in heaven together, and you go to hell because of your bitterness. And he said, brother, it was like a light went off in her. And she started weeping. She said, oh, my gosh, Charlie, Charlie, what have I done? 20 years, what have I done? And so she's weeping, and he's weeping, and they're embracing, and they're, they're, they're loving, and, and just uh, healing is taking place in their heart. The whole church is weeping, and all of a sudden, he said, God, as my witness, that man said, oh, my God, look, look. And he said, before God, he held up two perfect hands. He said, I don't understand that. 
how somebody's bitterness and, and unforgiveness could physically cripple another person. He said, I don't understand that. Now, I, I use that example to say to you, we, we need to make ourselves available to God, and if you will, and allow him, and I believe the good place God wants to take us is allow him to lead you by his spirit. God, right now, Father, we pray, Lord, that we have ears to hear what your spirit is saying, God, and we don't just show up to do mighty things, but God, we show up to see you do mighty things. And Lord, it's not about what we're going to do, it's about what you're going to do. And Father, as you lead us and direct us, God, we will see the power of God, Lord. God, we will get past the place of just doing things in form and practice. And Lord, we will hear that small, still voice that directs us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Now, I believe that God wants to move in our life in such a way. And if we will make ourselves available and step out in faith, I believe that we're going to see those things because God has given gifts unto men, he said. Verse 11, it says, and he himself also, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints for that very same purpose, for the working of the ministry. What I'm doing this morning is equipping you to work in the ministry that God has given you. The part of why I'm here. It's my job to provide you with all that you need to walk in the calling of God the grace that he's given you, the gift that he's given you. And he goes on to say, for the edifying of the body, till we all come into the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, which is Christ. Verse 16, for whom the whole body jointed and knit together by what every joint supplies. Your body, all the bone structure in your body is joined together with joints. If one of those comes out of socket, my daughter-in-law can tell you what that's about. Her, her shoulder came out of socket one time. Was it your shoulder? The body didn't work so pretty good after that, did it? Till you get that thing back in. Well, listen, the same thing is true about our body. If there's something that's out of joint, the body can't operate like God designed and wants it to. So he says we need to come into the unity of the faith so every joint is not only in place, but it's supplying what is needed for the other part of the body to work. So as a pastor, I want to equip you as a person that is supposed to be doing ministry, I want you to see you do your ministry so that you're not waiting for someone else to do it. Amen. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, <clears throat> One other scripture I want to look at is in Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 4. Because I didn't know what else to do this morning. I just kind of pulled out a, 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 this is what you call an expository. You just take the scripture and expound on it. Because I, I'm like, I didn't, I'm at 3 o'clock this morning. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what to do, God. I'm just going to pull the word out and go with it, you know. 
Romans chapter 12, it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. It's like that machine. Every part has its own function. Verse 6 is having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy. In proportion of our faith, of ministry, let us minister. And, uh, let us use it uh, in, in our ministering. Who is he who teaches in teaching? He who exhorts in exhortation? He who gives with liber liberality? He who leads with diligence? He who shows mercy? with cheerfulness, all right, because we need to be led by His Spirit. And let me say something else. I'm seeing a hesitation in the body of Christ, and, and, and may I confess to you a hesitation in my own life. And God has been convicting me about this. Can, can I just be transparent this morning? Against the advice of people wiser than I, they said, Pastor, you shouldn't be tra so transparent with your people. Not, that wasn't said to me directly. It was said generally in a, in a training session. Pastors, don't let your people be too familiar with you. I'm like, I, I just don't know about that. People won't, don't want to see your vulnerability. They want to see you as the man of God that they can look to and count on. I am transparent, all right? If I mess up, I want to say to you I messed up. If I'm failing at something, I, I'm failing at something. I preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit last week. How many was here and I preached on that? Now, I very much would have wanted to stand up here and say, if you, you want to receive the baptism, come and let us pray for you. But I didn't. Why? Fear. Fear. Look at this with me. Romans chapter, chapter 8. I'm going to sidetrack just a minute before I get back into Romans 12. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God and have children than heirs. We're heirs. Come on, what God did for his heir, Jesus Christ, he does for you. We are joint heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Sometimes you're going to suffer rejection and, and, and ridicule and, and being made fun of. But what the Lord has shown me is a lot of us are gripped in fear because, because we've tried in, either in zeal or passion or commitment or dedication or faith or whatever, we stepped out and said, in the name of Jesus, nothing happened. We pray for people. We believe for this. We, we trust God for that, and nothing happens. And I was sharing this with somebody, uh, a young man who has profound insight about just things in general. And he, he gave me an analogy that was just powerful. He said, you know, it's like going out and working a, a field. And you work that field. You plow it. You, you get everything right, and you sow all your seeds, and one seed comes up. You go the next year. You go to all that trouble. You plow it again, and two plants come up. Next year, you go to all that trouble, you spend all that money on fertilizer and seed, and you put it out, and one seed comes up. The next year, nothing comes up. And so you get to a point after a while, it's like, am I really going to go to all of this trouble 
for one plan or maybe nothing? How many knows what I'm talking about? You've trusted God. It's like, why don't we see this happening? And what the Lord is showing me is that there's a number of reasons that I believe, I believe that this is happening. One is because we are just pulling out our magic wand and saying, in the name of Jesus, that's supposed to do everything instead of getting in a place where we can hear the voice of God. Or we've, we've, we've tried to step out in faith and do those things, and because it didn't happen, because we only got one plant, we get to a point where we're discouraged. And what happens is we, we, we allow the enemy to come in and lie to you that it doesn't work. He's a liar. The Word of God says it works. It works. So if it's not working, God's not the problem. I'm the problem. So I'm like, Lord, what? What? Then what? What do we do? He said, well, the first thing you need to do is overcome the spirit of fear. There's a demon spirit that has bound you up. And you're bound. You're in bondage. He said, but you've not been born to the spirit. It's a spirit. Everybody say a spirit. It's a, it's a demonic spirit that puts you in bondage to fear. I'm afraid to step out, not because of pride. And I could care less about my pride. I just don't want to give the enemy occasion to say, you Christian people are always saying that God's going to do this and God's going to do that, and he never does. And so I'm like, I'm hesitant to step out, and, and if somebody's coming up, I'm going to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Spirit, and I pray for them, and nothing happens. And so now not only has other people said, well, that don't work. This person is saying, well, I've prayed this. Everybody's prayed for me and nothing happened. And so I, I don't know that I have all the answers, and maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't give you instructions in every moment, but we need to at least give him an opportunity to work. And to do that, we've got to have this broken off of us, the spirit of bondage in the spirit of fear and step out in faith and say, I don't know what God's going to do, but we're going to give him an opportunity. And if God doesn't give me something specific in the spirit, a direction in the spirit, we're going to pray anyway and keep praying and keep believing and keep serving and keep working. And I gave us an illustration, Carl Strader. He said, I, everybody prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Spirit. Nothing happened. And then my nephew, a little 17-year-old, long-haired hippie boy, said, Uncle Carl, have you received the baptism yet? And he said, no. He said, well, can I pray for you? And he said, I didn't want to discourage him. He said, sure, son, you can pray for me. He said, he laid hands on me, and God baptized me in the Spirit. He said, I don't, under I don't understand all of that. But here is a young man that's bold enough to step out in faith and do it. And church, I think God wants to stir something in us again that we have our boldness and come back. I, 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 I'm off my notes. Just forgive me. I, I listened to, how many of you know who Dr. Michael Brown is? Dr. Michael Brown. He's a Jewish man. He was one of the professors at Brownsville S School of Ministry. I was listening to him teaching on the Jezebel spirit. He was talking about all the different characteristics of the Jezebel spirit and how that it, it, that's the way it works, through fear. Through fear. It causes you to be afraid, afraid to step out, afraid to believe, afraid to trust, afraid of trying. And we need to step out and give God the opportunity once again. Well, anyway, back to Romans 12. 
We got many different many uh, members in, in different parts. So, and all these parts are important. They work very well. Are you still with me? Am I, should I wind this up here? John C. Maxwell, he, he, um, he wrote a book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And one of those laws is called the law of the lid. Some of you have heard this, but some of you haven't for the benefit of those who haven't. There's a, there's a law called the law of the lid, and it tells a story about two young men in San Bernardino, California. And, and they had a restaurant. And, and they came up with the idea of having people served while they're in their cars. And so people would pull up in their cars, and they hired these cute little girls, put roller skates on them, and they'd roller skate out, get their order, go back, get the food, and bring it out. And people thought, man, this is awesome. We can just pull up in our car and eat while we're in our car. Nobody ever done anything like that. It was the first account of, of curb service. Well, they got to where they couldn't fill all the orders. It, I mean, it went what we would call today viral. Everybody's coming. Their business is booming so big that they had to build another restaurant on the other side of San Bernardino. And so they couldn't fill all the orders, so they started selling just hot dogs, hamburgers, and french fries. And everybody loved it. A businessman came to these, these two brothers and says, I want to invest in your business, and I want to take it nationwide. And they laughed at him. They said, nationwide? So nobody knows us outside of San Bernardino, California. And so they sold him the franchise of their business for a couple of million dollars. These were the McDonald brothers. All right, and restaurants all over the United States bears their name, and they benefit nothing from it because they had a lid. Their lid was what they believed that they could do, and their lid was two stores in San Bernardino, California. So the law of the lid in your life is what do you believe you can do? Well, I don't believe I can do a whole lot. But what do you believe God can do if he invests in your business? Huh, come on. If God invests in your business... There's no limit to what you can do. So we need to take off the lid and give God an opportunity to do the supernatural. And I'm only going to do one more. The other one is the law of victory. The law of victory. Leaders find a way to lead their team to victory. We see it in Ephesians 4 and in Romans 12 that every joint supplies, and it helps us find and use the gifts that we have so we can win the battle, so we can have victory. The armies understood this. Abraham Lincoln and Jeff, Jeff, Jefferson Davis, when you look at their two different styles of leadership, Abraham Lincoln, he delegated authority and, and gave credit to his leaders. He didn't always have to be right. At Grant's victory at Vicksburg, he and, and uh, um, General Grant, they had a disagreement about how to go about that battle. But he finally yielded to Grant, and Grant went and, and, and into battle and won a great victory. And Abraham Lincoln said this, quote, I never had any faith except the general hope that you knew better than I. I now wish to make a personal acknowledgement that you were right and I was wrong. He let them lead even if they failed. Church, I've put that into practice. One thing that I've learned about being a pastor in leadership, and I didn't learn it because I just came up on my own. I was taught this. You surround yourself with people that knows how to do the things you don't know how to do. 
And there's people in this ministry today, I couldn't begin to tell you how to work. the. I don't even know how to turn the lights off and on in the church anymore. It's all computerized. I go into student center, and I'm like, I don't even know how to turn the lights. You know, hear me, Pastor Joe. It used to be a switch that I wired up. That worked, but all this, I don't even know how to do it anymore. I don't need to know. There's people that need to know that, and what you need to do is delegate them, and, and this is what I do. I put people in a position, I delegate them with the authority to do it, and I say, now go. Even sometimes when I know they're probably not going to succeed. Because we want to give them an opportunity, give you an opportunity to find God's gift in your life. And if you fail at that, don't worry, we're going to pick you up, we're going to dust you off, we're going to put you back in the saddle and do it again. That's one style of leadership. It happens to be the correct style of leadership. You only, <laughs> you only, you only hope that uh, they're going to do it right. You know? <laughs> and you hope that other people will understand, too, that you, they trust your leadership. When the church board and I meet, I hope that you trust that we're leading the church in the right direction. Boy, it's quiet in here. Somebody ought to say amen right there and kind of build my confidence a little bit. <laughs> we hope that you trust us. There's some good reason behind our actions. But Jefferson Davis, on the other hand, he micromanaged his generals. He felt that he was right about everything. He was right, and that was good enough. He used to he used excessive shares of energy and contentious arguments just to prove that he was right. The result, one army used united, and it went into victory. The other one was divided, and it went into defeat. Winston Churchill and Franklin D. Roosevelt is another good example. The England Prime Minister Winston Churchill, he opposed Hitler. He urged the House of Commons in 1932 and 1938 to oppose the Nazis and Hitler. He took office in 1940, and this is what he wrote. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggling. You ask, what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all our strength that God has given us, to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. This is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I answer with one word, victory, victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival, end quote. Winston Churchill was a great leader, and he believed in getting everybody together, everybody can contribute, and everybody can do their part, but doing it alone Churchill in England would have failed. Why? Because there was a missing part in that machine, the power and the might of the United States of America. If America had not entered the war, they would have lost that war. Are you hearing me? Every part is important. And church, I, when I read this and I consider this and I compare it to what God is saying in the Word of God, I wonder how many battles we would lose if we didn't have each other doing their part in the body of Christ? Have we lost battles because somebody didn't do their part? So Franklin D. Roosevelt, he entered the war. 
He had had victory over polio. He, uh, he pulled the USA out, United States out of, a, out of depression. So he joined the team after Pearl Harbor, December the 11th, 1941. Yamamoto, the commander-in-chief of the Japanese combined fleet under the leadership of Prime Minister Tojo Hidaki, we entered the war. The result, Churchill had a great cause, great leadership, great vision, but without the teamwork of Roosevelt and the Americans, he would not have achieved his goal of victory. Churchill knew what all great leaders know. Every joint supplies. Every joint supplies. Amen. That's true. That's true. In, it's true in church. It's true in sports. I mean, if you're a sports fan, you know that's true. If you get on the football field, everybody knows the quarterback can't do it by himself. You know, there were some great quarterbacks back when football honored the America. I don't watch NFL anymore. I'm, ever since Kaepernick took a knee, I turned off the NFL, and I don't plan to turn it back on. That's just me. So it's hard to me even give credit to the NFL anymore. If it all went away, it would be okay with me. Uh, if you're a football fan, I don't mean to offend you, but I'm still not over it. You don't insult that flag. But there was a time when men didn't do that. John Elway, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Troy Aikman. That was back in the day, okay. Baseball, Noel Ryan, John Schultz, Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax. How many of you remember some of those names? Some of you are too young to know who those people are. But that's true. If everybody was a pitcher, if you're a batter up there and there's nine pitchers on the mound, you come on, play ball. You got nine balls coming at you at the same time. You know, if you do have managed to hit one of them, who's in the outfield to catch it? <clears throat> who's on first? Well, somebody's on first. No, somebody's at home. Well, who's on first? Who is that? <laughs> and they've heard that joke. It's who's on first? It's hilarious. I'm, I'm going to wrap this up because I could go on and on about the teamwork and the the motivational gifts and how they work. But church, you need to understand you've been given a gift. If we don't walk away from anything else, you've been given a gift. And God's grace is with you to see that gift come to pass. And, and I believe that what God wants to teach us and what we need to learn. Hunter, if you guys go ahead and join me up here. I had four more pages of notes, but I'm not going to go through all of that. I get lots of notes when I don't know what I'm going to say, so I'll have something to say. You know. It's a lack of trust that God's going to show up. I may have to do this on my own. <laughs> I believe what God is showing me and what I believe God wants us all to see is that we're coming into a day and an hour. We're, we're in a dark, dark world, dark place. You know, I believe that we're seeing and going to see things in the spirit we've never seen before. I'm talking about wicked things. I've got a feeling, and don't, don't hold me to this, but I've I got a feeling that in a future sermon, I'm going to be giving some instruction about not just methodology of how to deal with things. Like, Many of you would never even consider confronting a demonic spirit. 
If I talk about casting out demons, you're like, I don't know about that. I'm never going to do it. You know, that's just foreign to your thinking that you would even consider such a thing. But how many of you want to see the captive set free? Huh? You want to see people come to Jesus, right? Well, what about if the thing that's hindering this person from coming to Jesus is the powerful force of a demon spirit? And they're incapable of coming to Jesus until that's dealt with. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes we just pull out our Jesus one, and that's supposed to take care of everything. And there's other things going on here that we don't know how to deal with. And, and I believe the Lord is going to direct me, and I, and I, I almost, I was this close to teaching on this today, and I was like, I, I, I believe we're coming to a place where we're in a dark world, and there is so much going on. I mean, people are opening doors that's never been opened before to the, to the world of darkness and demonic places and all. And when you open the door for the devil, he's coming in. Are you hearing me? I'm not talking about Christians now. Let's be clear on something. You're a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I can prove this, and when I teach on it, I'm going to prove Christians don't have demons. The debate has gone around for years, are they in you, on you, or around you? And I've always said, it doesn't matter. They're there, and they need to go. I don't care if they're in you, on you, or around you. They're there, and they've got to go. But I'm absolutely certain of the fact that if the Spirit of God dwells in you, He doesn't roommate with demons. And I could prove it from Scripture. But we need to know how to deal with those things. And we're coming into a place where you need to understand God has called you, He's gifted you, and some of these things you're going to need to know. You're going to need to have those in your tool belt to know how to do it. I heard a, a young man, we were just talking, you know, and I'm bouncing things off of him. And he, he said, you know what? I'm going to preach a sermon. If I preach on this sermon, I'm going to title it Spiritual Jiu-Jitsu. Catchy, catchy title, isn't it? Spiritual Jiu-Jitsu. Because of what he said to me, I'm like, brother, that was profound what you just said. He said we, we he had taken some classes, I guess, and some people taking some classes in Jiu-Jitsu. And you learn how to do that. It's body manipulations and weight, shifting weight and a lot of different things. It's called, Jiu-Jitsu means the gentle, the gentle force or gentle style and it's and he, and he said you learn those things hoping and praying that you never need to use them but if you ever find yourself in a place where somebody's trying to hurt you you're glad that you know how to do that and so I believe the Lord is going to take us in a place I want to instruct you and teach you how you can use the gift of God in you hoping you never have to use it but if you do get into a place where you need it, you're going to be glad that you have it and you know how to use it. And we're coming into a, to a time and a period, I believe, that we're going to see demon spirits. Because there's quite possible some people in here this morning that's being harassed by demon spirits. We need to know how to identify that and how to deal with that. And most of all, you don't need to be afraid of that. Because if God has called you, and He has, if God has gifted you, and He has, if God has given you the grace to do what He's called you to do, and He has, then you can do what I'm telling you you can do this morning. You can do it. Why? Because He's there to do it through you. How many of you see, we talk about revival 
I don't want to see revival. I know that sounds odd. Revivals come, revivals go. They peak, they wane, they fade out. I want to see an awakening. When God is working in the lives and hearts of men every single day as a natural reaction to the things they deal with. That we're walking in such relationship with Him that we see something and we don't just have to pull out our magic method and try to make it work. No, God shows us what we're dealing with. So we deal with it specifically. And then the things that we want to see work will work. Because we're not just depending on some method in our little wand, you know, that's going to fix everything. So I incorporated a whole lot of I don't know what to say with some of what I thought about saying, and I'm done. Amen. <laughs> I don't know if that made a lick of sense to anybody, but why don't you stand with me? I finally just kind of put all that together this morning at 3 o'clock. I went and got in the bed, and I said, well, I'm going to get some sleep. Because I was at one point, I'm like, well, I have, Brother Jim, I've worked on a sermon, and I finish up, and I hear, I'm like, I know that's not our clock. And I look out, and it's getting, it's daylight. I'm like, good Lord, I've been up all night long, and I got still got to preach, you know. <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of those nights, you know. And so I went to bed at 3 o'clock. I got up and I told Jeannie, I said, well, at least the time changed this morning. I got an extra hour of sleep. She said, no, honey, you lost an hour. <laughs> I'm like, doggone, my math is wrong. <laughs> so anyway, here we are. Father, we just know that we can always depend on you, God, and you always show up, Lord, if we would just trust you, God. But not, Lord, I, I pray that we will... Find time, Lord, to, to, to get alone with you, God. Oh, Jesus. Lord, you said that we do not even know what to pray for as we ought. But, God, you said the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groans which cannot be uttered. Jesus, you also said that you sit at the right hand of the Father and you intercede for us. So, Holy Spirit of God, Jesus, pray, intercede for us today, God, that we can walk in what I've described this morning. Lord, teach us, teach us, God, how to walk in your spirit, God, how to hear your spirit, Lord, how to recognize what's going on in the spirit, Lord. And then, Father, I pray that you give us the boldness, God, and the, the, the anointing and the power, Lord, to step out and, and to operate in those things, Lord. God, there's so many things I want to sort out so I can understand it for myself and to teach it to the body of Christ. So teach us, Lord. Teach us, Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, if you're here this morning, and first of all, if you're not a, a child of God, I, I don't know who, I, who I'm talking to, but if you're, you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, why not today make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Amen. If you're here and you need prayer, for whatever it's for, if you need prayer, we're going to pray for you. All right? If you come to the altar, I'm going to come pray for you. The elders in the church will come pray for you. So whatever it is that you need prayer for, the altar is open. We invite you to come. Let's give God an opportunity to work in your life. <clears throat>
Amen. The altar's open. Hunter. And I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Watch out of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Lord, now indeed I find that thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Cause Jesus paid it
talking about revival, I bear witness with everything because it's about an awakening. And on a men's group a couple weeks ago, we were talking about this awakening that was happening with the students. And I asked the guys, what does an awakening mean to you? And they talked about it a little bit and uh, Abram asked me, he said, what about a rude awakening? What is a rude awakening? I said, well, I can tell you about a rude awakening. See, an awakening is about a change that is a lasting, measurable change. Revival, we get revved up and then it fades. We rev that engine up and it's good, but then it winds down and that's not what we're looking for. That's not what we need. We need lasting, measurable change. And I said, a rude awakening happened to me about 20 years ago in Poughkeepsie, New York. I was at an honor-bound men's conference. We went up there, and I'd been to men's conferences before, and the Spirit of the Lord had hit me, and I had these woo-hoo times with God, and they were awesome, and I cherished them. But at that particular event, that night, as I went up there, and I went right down on the front row, and all the way across an auditorium of 1,500 men, a young man come down in a wheelchair, and they were about to sing praise and worship. And that young man looked all the way across that auditorium at me and gave me a thumbs up. And I'm like, where did that come from? And when the music started, he flipped his wheelchair and did a wheelie and began to spin around and dance before the Lord in his wheelchair at the altar, okay? And I heard the voice of the Lord inside me thunder so loud, it buckled my knees. He said, you are not a thankful man, Joel. And I went, oh, out loud, and I went to my knees, and I wept so hard that my stomach hurt. And he said, that boy, if he had your legs, would be leaping and dancing before me. You're not a thankful man. The next night when we came out, I looked across there and there he was again and he looked right at me and he gave me a thumbs up and I gave him a thumbs up. And at the beginning of the music, he began to make his wheelchair dance again. I jumped as hard and high as I could and I screamed until I lost my voice. Praises to God's name. But that rude awakening has lasted over 20 years because I have never failed from that day to this every single morning. I thank God for everything he gives me in my life. For hot coffee and breakfast and lunch and gas in my car. That I open my eyes that I can walk and I can talk. Maybe we need a rude awakening this morning. A lasting change. Do you need something lasting this morning? That's what Pastor B is trying to get to you about. You need an, an, a, just an encounter, an arresting. A.W. Tozer said you are in need of an arresting encounter with God this morning. You need a measurable, lasting change this morning. Sometimes our awakenings aren't pretty. Sometimes they slap us upside the head. I needed that 20 years ago. I'm not saying you need a slap upside the head, but if God wants to give you one, let him do it. Amen? Amen. No praise the Lord. 
it out and I'm not trying to 
manipulate emotions and people. But I just feel like, you know when you see the guy at the football game and he's running around, <laughs> right? He's crazy, like trying to, come on guys, this is our team. And I feel like I saw that guy almost, and it's like, it's, God doesn't have to be done, right? We choose to be done. So I just, I'm like, I want to be that guy. If there's anything that you want to lay down, if there's anything you want help with, if there's anything you need healing for, let's do it. Let's, let's be one. Let's be one for Jesus, right? So it's just, that's my encouragement to you. Like, it's here. He's winning. Come get crazy, you know? Come bring it. Let him, let him win it for you. upon precept what he was saying just you know you learn just you fail and then you grow and then you learn and you fail and you try again you try again you can't you don't ever give up but God is you know in my new Christian walk and God is like oh you love everyone and and that is a command so I'm trying to walk that walk and and everyone I see in my life oh I love you and all and and I think Andrew Womack and he's he was just staring at my eyes on the on the video, and he's like, uh, "People that you're around a lot, and if they're lost, and you tell them you love them, but you don't tell them any truth, <laughs> you don't love them." And that just it just hit me. If we love people, it's just hard. But we try to put our pride aside. I just love all the words we we had that, yeah, we're just in an awakening. You can feel it, brothers and sisters. It's a good awakening. This is holy ground. Give me a key. I don't even know what key I'm looking for. Give me, a, give me a C. How many of you know that old song? This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. For the Lord is here.
your assignment. Let's learn that song. <laughs> holy ground church <clears throat> because the Lord is present and where he is is holy amen in his presence in his presence there's peace in his presence there's joy in his presence there's freedom in his presence there's deliverance come on he wants to set us free he wants to set us free Amen. In whom the Son is made free is what? He is free indeed. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, we thank you for a time in your presence today, God. I pray that mighty things have been done. I believe mighty things have been done, God. Lord, in the days ahead, I pray that, Lord, we will see the manifestation of your Spirit revealed in the hearts and lives of your people. God, as people step out in faith, Lord, and they do things, God, maybe they've never even attempted before. God, they do it in trusting that it's not about what they're prepared to do, but it's about what you're prepared to do, God. And God, I believe you're prepared to do some great and mighty things. And so, Lord, we yield our members to you, God, as instruments in your hand, Lord, to be used, God, in a mighty way. And as we see that happen, God, and you reveal your power. May we bow our heads humbly and say, to God be the glory, because it's not what we have done, but it's what you have done. And we give you the glory, we give you the praise, we give you the honor, Lord, because it all belongs to you. Amen. In him we live move in him we have our being so father so we leave this place today god i pray a special anointing on the body of christ lord i pray that you give us opportunities to be a witness for you god i pray that you empower every person lord the submersion of your spirit the baptism of your spirit to be a witness god give us that opportunity lord and as we have that opportunity god give us boldness lord to step out in faith and be a, a, a witness and share you with others, God. Give us the words to say in the hour that we need to say it, I pray. Now, Lord, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ and over every home that is represented, Lord. God, may we just make our house, Lord, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, God, a place where you're honored, Lord. Cleanse our homes, God. God, if there's things in our home that is ushering in powers of darkness, Lord, cleanse our home. Cleanse our home, Lord. I just pray God will cleanse your house. If there's something there that is a, it is a window, an opening, a door for darkness to enter, let's close that door. Amen. Let's close that door. I believe that God is wanting to take us into a holy place to call us to come apart, to come apart and spend time with him. And it's in that, it's in that, that communion with God that I believe we're going to see the move of God. So, Father, I pray over each home, Lord, that we will close every door, every window that allows darkness, God, to enter in, God. 
And Lord, let your light shine in our homes where the Holy Spirit is welcome. God, may the presence of your Spirit rest in our homes, God. And as it does, Father, it's going to strengthen the husband and the wife relationship. It's going to strengthen the relationship between parents and their children. It's going to strengthen the relationship between children and siblings, one with each other. I speak that blessing over the body of Christ today, Lord. And Lord, like Meredith and Chris, Lord, they found each other, God. I pray for every single cup, every single person in this this church, God, that's walking, Lord, alone, and they're looking for their mate. God, you bring bring that person into their life, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we pray for Brittany this morning, God. She's They've taken her to the hospital. She's being induced to have their baby today. Lord, today, little Evan will see light for the first time. He's going to breathe on his own for the very first time. And, God, he is going to be birthed out into the world, Lord, and, God, we pray for a good, safe, healthy delivery, a good, healthy baby, God. We pray for a good, healthy mom, Father, that you, Lord, right now keep your hand on them, Lord. As that wonderful thing is getting ready to occur. Hallelujah. We give you the praise for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.